0: Hey listeners and welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. If this is your first time tuning into the pod, then we hope you enjoy today's episode. But what is this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creatives on the surf coast in Australia. Why do we do it? We think the coast is a melting pot of creative minds from the city, the country and the coast. And we wanted to get their stories out there. Each episode is packed full of insight and a good dose of practical hints and tips from our guests. We hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast brought to you by Stonker in Torquay.
1: Hey guys and welcome
0: to the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. Joining me today is shaper extraordinaire and neighbour, fellow neighbour on Baines Crescent in Torquay, uh, in Chisholm, better known as Chisholm. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. Thanks for coming in for a chat today. Can't wait to hear more about your story. We kind of get snippets here and there on on social media and YouTube and chatting to you day to day. Uh, But just for people who don't know or may not be familiar with your brand, South Coast Surfboards, do you just want to give us a rundown of the business and how long it's been going and what you're all about?
1: Sure. So we started, well, we've been in Torquay just on 26 years. So, We opened up in Baines Crescent 1C. Uh, The shop opened in 1998, Easter. Uh, Prior to that, I was building boards in Melbourne for about two years, just realistically as a hobby. So then we moved to Torquay. I was involved in another industry. Actually, I was in the fruit and vegetable industry. So, uh, and I worked Footscray Market for 12 years and I was able to do financially well out of that, however the lifestyle was pretty hard and I always surfed as a kid and always wanted to make surfboards I made skateboards actually when I was younger so yeah. the passion for making surfboards was there uh, I had a friend in Aladala, hence the name South Coast uh, that showed me a little bit so basically I packed up overnight, moved from Melbourne moved to Torquay opened a shop set up, had for other shapers, build boards for me under my brand because at that stage I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, opened the doors. I think 1998 Easter, and I thought, well, here we go. So, and at that stage, you know, onboarding was not even on the map. Pretty much in Victoria, let alone Australia. It there was obviously a resurgence prior to that, but it pretty much gone out the door. And Torquay was very anti-longboarding, to be honest, at that stage, everything was about shortboards, rip curl, quicksilver, and here's this guy from Melbourne's moved to town and <laughs> opened up a longboard store. So we ruffled a few fe- feathers. I, I think, imagined. Yeah, I think we did, we probably went uh, about things probably the wrong way a little bit. I mean, the first day that we were open, we went up to Bell's uh, and we probably plastered about... 5,000 pamphlets on cars at the Rip Curl event, so <laughs> then we got, uh, Rip Curl came and had a word to us about oh. that, and I'm just like, okay, so now I realise what sort of town I'm in and what sort of industry, so, yeah. anyway, so...
0: Did you get a call from Doug, Claw?
1: Actually, we got a visit from Claw at that oh, stage, wow. so... Oh, at least you got a visit. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, that well, they knew who we were, and then, uh, you know, we proceeded from there, and... It wasn't long before I realised I had to actually... My actual initial aim was never to make surfboards. It was just to build a brand and sell surfboards. Um, And part of the reason that came on is also we approached Rip Curl at the very start and we offered boards to them on consignment. And at that stage, they took the boards and I came back four or five months Later, and I think we left 15 boards or something, and they were all gone. I thought, great, they sold all the boards, we'll just make some more and put them back in. Mm-hmm. And the guy I was dealing with at the time, who's still was in this town, <laughs> I'm going to name him Galley because yeah. <laughs> he actually did me a favor. I said to Galley, I oh, sold all the boards. He goes, Nah, mate, I just put them out the back. I, you know, don't really do long boards. So I thought, all right, well, we collected all the boards and I thought that's it, we're going to learn how to make boards. So thanks, Gally, because of you. I went off and I started learning how to make boards. Yeah, so, shout um, out to Gally. Thanks, Gally. Uh, and then I just really had to teach myself everything. I'm self taught, no one's really showed me anything. A lot of mistakes were made. Uh, we've been going over 26 years, we're now exporting to a few countries. We do a lot of interstate, a lot of custom work. Obviously now we've moved from 1C, we're down, us uh, from 22 Bains cres- Crescent, we're down to 1C. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a full factory, a uh, coffee shop and everything's made on site. So that's kind of the gist of it, where we are. Yeah. And we're going along pretty well at the moment. Yeah,
0: it's fantastic. You kind of get the impression that it's just one shop but you've now got this export function and sell quite a few boards out of Byron Bay too don't you?
1: Yeah well I'm I'm manufacturing some boards in Byron Uh, so we've had some family commitments in Byron for the last year. My wife has had to spend some time in Byron because of her family so I've been commuting a lot this year to Byron where I've been shaping in Byron and we've been building a few boards there and bringing a lot of them back down to Victoria and selling a few out of there. I think that's only going to be a temporary thing. Eventually, we'll move everything back on site when Ange and the kids are back shortly for good. Uh, yeah, so we're now exporting. We've, we're actually moving into some other countries and our interstate and local work starting to grow. So things are, things are on the up. I mean, COVID was, for us was amazing. Unfortunately for a lot of people, it wasn't. Mm. Uh, because of the surf industry, we pretty much tripled our sales overnight, which was only temporary, which everyone knows that eventually that was going to come to a halt. That was a real bubble, wasn't it? It was a bubble, but we've been able to hang on to a lot of it. Yep. Uh, again, a lot of that's got to do with behind the scenes and what my wife does with marketing and yep. social media, etc. So, you know, that eventually was going back off. And I think the industry at the moment has actually gone back the other way where it's a little bit of trouble, a little bit of turmoil. Uh, we've got one blank manufacturer who's shutting down. I uh, hear also on the grapevine another manufacturer is about to pull the pin. Wow! And so things. But so again, these are guys
0: at the, f- the f- ground zero. These are the guys that provide the blanks for you to show. yeah. Which and is like not a great company.
1: One company's been going for over sixty years. They're finishing up at Christmas. Uh, another company is pretty much in the same boat. Which just means reshuffling, reorganising, uh, working with other blank manufacturers. But again, I guess it's you know if you're competitive and you're doing the right thing, you'll you'll survive these glitches. I mean, you know, there's a few people recently, unfortunately, in the industry locally, have dropped off. There's three or four manufacturers that have pulled the pin for certain reasons. Uh, but again, it's just it's you just got to keep working away and be competitive and. I think these things only make you better yeah challenges
0: make you really think don't they about your strategy and what you're doing 100%. and your marketing and your branding
1: you know like I mean you can't just rest on your laurels No. And, you know, you've got to be looking forward all the time not worrying too much about what everyone else is doing I think you still have to keep an eye on your competition mm-hmm. but you've got to kind of stay in your own lane and keep working and, and don't veer from it and you know if someone's doing something better than you well, you've got to work out what it is and try and get better again and you'll survive you know if you're good at what you do you know if your product's good your price is good your distribution and, and your marketing is good you know you're halfway there so again consistency like anything just yep turn up every day and keep getting it done
0: i think it's Woody Allen that said 80, 80% of success is showing up so just being there day to day getting the job done yeah uh And speaking of getting better at what you do, so initially you had that sort of um, awakening, I guess, that maybe the standard wasn't up to scratch. How did you go about getting really good at shaping? So you said that you you went away and thought, how do we make good boards? How long did that process take?
1: It wasn't overnight. I mean, originally we had Wayne Dean, Brett Munro, shaping boards forming under our label, and... We had a couple of local guys, and you know I thought I've got to start learning how to build boards. So the first, you know, the first attempts were pretty horrific, uh, and I remember the first board I ever made I actually sold. it. You know, I can't believe that someone actually bought that thing. <laughs> Is it because it's still around. It went to Texas of all places. Oh, no <laughs> so obviously the guy didn't know much about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and back then there was no computer, there was no machine, so everything was by hand, which I think was a blessing. It made you really think about... Yeah, and we were lucky because there was no one else really doing what we were doing, so the demand was there and we were turning boards over and we were having, you know, we were having pretty good weeks. Even though winter here was deadly, we'd still have, we'd still be turning boards over regularly. You know, we'd, we could sometimes have a good Easter and we'd sell... You know, we did 25 boards in one day. Wow. You know, like, so things back then were... There wasn't a lot of option. So people were coming to us and we were always trying to make them better. So I think it was just a matter of working on, you know, working on technique, looking at what other guys in the industry were doing that were better than me and trying to replicate at least. Uh, And the shaping took... It took a while. I mean, I still, you know, I've done over fifteen thousand bores, mm. and I still think they're improving. So I think if you think you get to a level that you can't get any better, mm. then and you get stagnated, that's when you start to go backwards. So you have always got to try and improve. Yeah. Uh, the laminating side of it, I had a couple of laminators in who, were at the time, were well, they were fair and reasonable, and I learned a lot just by watching them. Mm-hmm. But then it came to the stage where I had to learn that myself as well. And again, it was just doing the numbers time and time again, learning how to fix things. And, you know, like if you made a mistake, how to get overcome that. And then over time, I think it just became pretty repetitious, you know, like so I'm probably laminated close to 15,000 boards now as well. So right. it's just time. You know, there's no real quick fix. I mean, these days things are different. Everyone has computer shape boards and, mm. you know, a lot of people can't even shape off the blank. Uh, they're just really just cleaning up pre-shapes. Yeah. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. I still know that I can shape everything off the blank. I still I use computer shapes now just to get numbers out, but I still do a lot of hand shape stuff. So it's really a matter of just, again, consistency, showing up, working on technique, don't rush things, and just every time you make a board, try and make the next one better.
0: So from the blank, you mean like a rectangular, a block? Basically, Without so. the concave? Because you can nice. buy them with the concave, can't you, from the factory?
1: Well, you can buy them two ways. You can buy them... When you're buying a straight-up blank, they just come with a stringer glued in, and yep. they're pretty much a block. Yeah. Or you can get them now like that, and you send them off to a machine, and they basically cut them for you, and they're pretty much finished. So the industry now is 90% uh, pre-shaped, and that's just the way it's gone, which I don't have a problem with. But there's very few people in the modern era who are taking up shaping that can actually shape. So I think there's guys that can shape and they're shapers and I think there's guys that can clean up and they're more like scrubbers. So that's really the difference of what people are in the industry.
0: And you had a bit of, you must have had a passion for surfing, like living in Melbourne, working in fruit and veg. How did the, where did the passion for surfing come from?
1: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, mum and dad, you know, as a kid, we grew up, Always going to the beach, you know, like I think I started surfing when I was seven. My first board was a secondhand Wayne Lynch, purple, oh, wow. single fin. The dad bought for me. First surf, I got 10 stitches in the head, someone ran into me. <laughs> Mum's like, you're never surfing ever again. <laughs> but we always went to either Anglesey and then we started going to Strington a lot, you know, when I was a kid. So I always loved to surf and loved the beach. Yeah. You know, it was just, just a weekend worry though when I was younger, till I was about eighteen and then when I went to uni. I uh, had a mate at Uni, he was a mad surfer, so we'd nick off pretty much two or three times a week from uni and just go surfing. Yeah. So that's where it was, the passion was. And it dropped off a little bit when I was in the market because of the hours and everything. But it was always there, you know. And I've always loved the beach.
0: And just the courage to come down the surf coast, the home of, you know, shaping in Victoria, Australia, arguably, as well. Um, you know, with the exception of Brookvale and places like that. <laughs> Quite a big epicenter there. I think
1: those guys will <laughs> say that they're
0: the number one spot. But... Yeah. But uh, to have the courage to come down, sort of make your mark in a market that you basically said didn't exist at the time. Who else did you upset other than Ripker? Half a down... <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think day one or day two, we put a, a little sandwich board out the front, like a little A-frame. Yeah. You know, where, if you knew Baines Crescent back then, it was a dirt road. There was nothing, no development past Mitre 10. So we were up behind that and the road didn't even do a loop. So it was just a dirt road with a fence. Oh, right, dead ends, Yeah, up yeah. to the paddock there. And we put a little sandwich board out the front, like surfboards. Next thing the council come up and they said, oh, you need a permit for that. And <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I'm like... We've had a complaint. And I'm like, okay, so who's the complaint from? And they said, oh, we can't tell you. And then the guy just said, look, I will tell you. And it was from Mike Sasio, from okay. scrapper. Ah, right. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Anyway, so I'd never met anyone. So back then, you know, coming from the fruit market, you're pretty much, you know, used to a bit of confrontation. Yeah. And I didn't know how the surf industry worked. I thought everything would be like the fruit market, just supply and demand, everyone paid pay cash, and that yeah. was the great <laughs> thing about it. So I walked down and straight to Strap, and I said, which one's Mike And He goes, Man. And I said, well, you know, I'm from South Coast. What's your problem? You know, and Mike's like...
0: <laughs> this is one of the doyens of the retail
1: <laughs> surf industry. And Mike's like, he's like, oh, you know, you need a permit. You know, you've got to do everything the right way. And I said, so it's a sandwich board, mate, and there's probably waiting. one car won't come up there for the... You know, In the next three months, and he's like, Well, you know, you're moving into our industry and we're building longboards, we probably do about 50 longboards a year. Oh, so that's what he was. And I'm like, Well, that's okay, Nick, because I'm going to do a thousand a year. Oh, <laughs> and, and we get on well now, yeah. And it was just like, I started to realize, you know, what I was up against, you know, especially you'd surf bells for instance, and you'd be the only one on the longboard, maybe one other guy, mm. and you just, you know, there was. It was just interesting, you know, back then. But it's funny, a lot of those guys back then were giving me grief in the water. We're all older than me. Well, now they're all coming back onwards. Right. So yeah. it, it's changed and it's it's yeah. changed for the better, I think, just because it was pretty... I mean, the industry's changed that much. But, you know, it was a bit of a... It was a big step. I think at first I wasn't aware of what I was up against. Um, you know, we've had other confrontations... And this is nothing against the guys at Rip Curls. I get on really well with all of them, but we also had a, you know, Rip Curl took over the McTavish brand at one stage, which is, you know, a really big longboarding brand. And they licensed the uh, clothing range and they actually set up a longboard store, which everyone should remember who've been around for a while, where the Rip Curl shop is on the side. And they knocked it down. They put in like over 200 longboards. They spent a lot of money and it looked amazing. And at that time, the store manager, who I would never really met, came up and walked into my shop and asked me, you know, are you in Chisholm? I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes straight, and this is the exact words: we're going to put you out of business. Really? And I said, okay, well, let's go. Well, a year and a half later, they shut the doors. Right. All they did is bring more people to town to buy more longboards. Yeah. And at that time... My ex-wife was pretty worried about it, and I, I just thought it was great because more and more people came to town. We sold more and more boards, and yeah. they wanted to buy direct from people that made the boards, not just out of a retail store. So yep. And that's nothing is the guys at Rippy and McTavish. I know them mm-hmm. really well. So, it was, and that guy, you know, he's gone. They got rid of him. I mean, and things have changed a lot since then. You know, we work with Ripple now. We do stuff with them. Um,
0: I was going to say they're a lot more collaborative now, aren't oh, they? Yeah. Like they. They well, put so much into ideas. the town and yeah. like we're directly across the road I um, mean, looking at the the pod booth window at Stonker Studios, we can see the HQ of Rip Curl and, you know, we came in here, uh, it's actually a little bit similar, kind of upstarts <laughs> come in and took over this business, you know, stand-up paddle foil, kiting. Uh, don't have a huge amount of knowledge in kiting, but foil and sup, they're pretty good, so... But, yeah, we've had no sort of confrontations or anything. Those guys are gone. Yeah, we've had a few guys come in and introduce themselves and they seem to be, yeah.
1: I think I got a, there's there's an old guy, not an old guy, but a guy about my age, Shane Davies. One knows him as Bulldog. And when we first moved to town, he came in and I met him and he was pretty local. And we kind of clicked and he just gave me a bit of advice. He just said, look, keep your head down. Don't say too much and do your job. And Mm -hmm. he goes, and you'll fit in. And after some initial confrontation, that's what we did. You know, we pretty much uh, just worked away at what we did and didn't try and blow our trumpet too much and didn't rattle, you know, didn't rock the boat too much. And Mm -hmm. things just started to dissipate. And next thing you know, you become part of the furniture. Yep. and I understand it you know it's a small before when we first came it was a pretty small town it was very everyone was very Yeah, it was very clicky you know and that's you know you're a new kid on the block and I think and I've seen it happen with other people coming to town since they come in you know all the trumps blaring and everything like that it's not the town you're, you're going to get pegged back pretty quick Yeah. so what, but if you realise just come in and just do your thing and keep it low key everyone mm-hmm. will resonate towards you Okay. You know? but I think it's if you if you try to rule the world overnight in this town, especially in the surf industry, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And and I think it's a good thing in the end. I think you know it's sorted out probably some you know, some characters we didn't need. Yeah. You know, and most people work pretty well together in the industry. Shapers are a little bit je- you know a little bit different. <laughs> like, most shapers don't get on that well with each other. I think for a number yeah. of reasons as the involved building surfboards, so so but it, it's good, you know, we, we can't complain now, we just, we had to do, like anyone, anyway, You just got to do the hard work.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot of protection around templates and things like that, isn't there? I mean, that's why shapers tend to be a little bit tentative, with, you know, people hanging around the shop and things like that, I mean.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that too is, I mean, that used to be pretty, shapers were fierce about that. These days I think because there's computer shapes and these days you literally, if you're good on a computer, you can visualise a board in real life and, go and, and pretty much put it on a computer. Do it so, like CAD. Yeah. So those, you know, like I think that's, that's sort of dissipated a little bit. Look, I've seen a model I built probably 10 years ago which I wasn't the first to build it. Uh, it was being done in the late 60s but I was one of the first to bring it back and it, it sold really well for us. Uh, within about two or three years, there's probably 30 major brands in Australia doing very similar, and you can't really call that out. I mean, I look at that. If someone does copy what we do, I just see this compliment, you know, because if, if, they're, if they're seeing what we can do and it's working, they want to do it, that's great because by the time they get onto that and they're copying what we do, I'll be on to the next project.
0: Yeah, and speaking of next projects, you've got a big announcement coming on Friday. Can we talk about that? Yeah,
1: sure. This Friday, we're uh, launching a new board model with one of my local team riders, which is Ben Considine. So Ben's Noosa Champ, state Champ, Aussie Champ. Uh, Ben's with, been with me for about seven years. This was in the pipe works prior to COVID, but obviously COVID threw everything out and we just didn't get the time to put into this model. So Friday night, 5pm, we've got a board launch. Uh, we've got music, food, everyone's welcome there'll be a little bit of a chat about the board but it's about community too, getting together and just mm-hmm. getting everyone back after COVID and enjoying, enjoying our space and just coming saying hi and checking out what we're doing
0: yeah, cool, so that's Friday the 8. 18th of yeah. November so 5 to 8pm or something
1: 5 to 8pm Bells Brewery are coming down they're doing all the grog uh, the guys that we have at Kooja they're doing all the street food and we've got Jeff Ragless, who's a Mambo artist, and his wife coming to play music. Uh, cool. So they're really cool. Yeah. And look, we've, we've always been able to get a pretty big turnout. Uh, you know, we normally get 100 plus. So we're expecting similar numbers. The weather's going to be good, <laughs> not like today. So, yeah. you know, a lot of it will be outdoors. Uh, but I think it'd just be good to see one, you know, come and enjoy the space.
0: Yeah. Just a bit of context for our listeners. We're tucked away in Stonker Studios. We've got the heater cranked. It's on as high as it can possibly go. It's, what, late November. <laughs> Jesus is in the Patagonia jacket. I'm in a woolen jumper. It's, it's nuts. Like, it's crazy. Are you just over this weather? Or it's been okay for...
1: Well, I've been really lucky this year. I mean, for certain circumstances, we've had to travel to Byron a lot. So I think I've actually had 26 weeks of the year in Byron which is unheard of because we normally spend most of the year in Torquay. So I've been... And the times I've been up north, it hasn't been when it's been rainy. So I've been uh, copping a lot of good weather up there and coming back to some okay weather. At the moment, it's obviously feels like winter. Um,
0: <laughs> it feels like the middle of June, doesn't it? It's not like I've had
1: to put up with it for six months, like most of you. So yeah. where, yeah, sometimes you just wind it, don't you?
0: Oh, it's just... Eldina, it can go to buggery. Like, I hope it's over this time
1: next year. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing, though, is that I think if we had the weather here what they have up north the, the here, Oh, that's but, true, yeah. You know, this place would be out of control, you know, because it's, yeah. it's a beautiful place to live and it's amazing. Good people, a lot. you know, the countryside and what you can do outside. It's fantastic. The waves are great. It's not that crowded. I mean, you talk to the old locals, they think it's out of control, but yeah. this is nothing. You know, you go up north and... You can go surf fire in the past and there's anything on a good day for three to four hundred people. Yeah. You know, we get the best day at Winky Pop and there's maybe 60 Mm. and everyone's complaining. So it's not too bad.
0: Yeah, in comparison. Everything relative to something else is...
1: And the crowds haven't grown as much as... like I can still remember days, you know, when we first moved here when the waves were amazing. The crowds are similar to now. It's just that it's probably more consistent every day. And when the, no, when the surf is average, there's still people in the water. But I don't think the numbers are slow that much. And it's just more people in the water at more times. You know, yeah. 10 years ago, you could probably go for a surf on a shitty day by yourself. Or midweek, it would be a lot less. So, you know, I think people have to understand, too, that the beauty of living in a town like this, you know, you've got your old, old crew that hate development. But if we don't have that development and the town doesn't grow, mm. most of the people won't be able to survive and live here. they would be living in Melbourne. At least a lot of people now, you know, can live in this town and and work in this town instead of commuting. So you, gotta, you can't have both. No. You know, you, and for businesses to survive around here, it doesn't matter what your business is, you need growth. You know, like the last thing I want to be doing is living in Torquay and driving to Melbourne every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What, it makes no, point, no yeah. sense.
1: The lifestyle... That's why we come here. That's why you come here. And then, you know, and the amount of people that move here and still commute end yeah. up living here. Cause yeah. They just don't see the point. And, and that's it. It keeps a lot of people in town. It keeps a lot of families together and it keeps a lot of the kids staying close by. Otherwise, they, they have to move off to Melbourne or they have to move yeah. you know, to Geelong or something like that. I mean, a little bit of the land prices are pretty hectic at the moment. But yeah, yeah.
0: You come okay. down here for cheap lands and you get the shock of your life.
1: Well, again, it's relative though compared to Melbourne.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my
1: first block I bought in '98 was twenty-one thousand. Wow. <laughs> <In> <laughs> Janjuck, twenty-one grand, Janja. Janja, and you know they they, were, they couldn't give houses away. Yeah. In, in Janja, but.
0: I was talking to a guy in the shop the other day bought, you know, half a paddock in Janjuk for, I think he said he paid six grand or something. Yeah, This is so late awesome. 70s. He's still got it. Yeah. Like, still got the full parcel of land, so. It doesn't surprise. me. can only imagine what that's worth. But, uh, yeah, so the Surf Coast, we're very lucky to live down here. I just wanted to talk about the business. So, you touched on marketing there before, and your wife, Angie, helps you out with that. I just wanted to touch on scaling as well. So... How do you scale a surfboard-shaping business, sure. custom surfboards, without doing pop-outs in China? Well, that's integrity. So, look, there's a lot
1: of people who have gone both ways. I go to sleep at night. Yeah. You know, so I've been offered that all the time. And I still get people offering me that. And I know that these days there's boards coming out certain factories in China, which the quality is amazing. Mm. I don't deny that. You know, it's improved dramatically. But at the end of the day, my name's on every surfboard, mm-hmm. on my logo, and I sign every board. So I can't, I just can't bring myself to do it. So I know that at some stage we're, we're capped in what we can do. And when you're building surfboards, you know, when you're doing your costings and working all that out, you know, it gets to a certain level where, Depending on your overs, etc. But if you're if you're doing around about if you're a small operation and you're a you know you're a one man operation six to eight boards a week is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can make it some if you're getting top dollar. So you've got to be able to do it quality. Top
0: product. dollar being about fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred.
1: Uh, if you can high. get up around two thousand dollars for a long board, yep. As a sole operator, uh, you're doing really you're well. top of the tree. Yeah, and you're probably working five days a week. Yep. The next step is anything up to say 20 a week and then you're realistically you've got say two guys on with you maybe three and then you you know you're still making reasonably good money but you're working for it anything after that it just becomes numbers and then what you're really doing like we've done more than that before when we used to export a lot to japan we used to get some pretty solid orders coming through and really, all you're doing is working and working and working to keep a lot of other people in a job. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're not making that much more money. So, do you do 20 a week and control what you can do? Or do you work at looking to say to do 40 or 50 a week? Maybe lose that quality control, work harder and make not as much money. Yep. Or then do you go the other way and just sell out and just go mass produce? So... It's like a global surf industry, something like that. Yeah, look, I mean... Okay, so I do have... I'm involved with CJ Nelson Designs, which is under Thunderbolt Technology, which is also now licensed by Firewire. So technically, I'm a Firewire shaper by contract. (laughs) So we do do some stuff in Japan, and it is under license, where it is produced in China. However i got full control on how that's built and how they're produced. And I, I don't have an issue with that because that's something that I can't actually get boards into Japan because of the numbers they want and we just physically can't make them. So I'm happy with the person who runs that. So there is a bit of a – you could call it a sellout, so, but I'm happy with that. Yep. But I wouldn't be bringing them back into the Australian market mm-hmm. and taking over what we do here. Um. So, and we just get royalties on that. So that's that's a little bit of cream, yep. you know. But when it comes to building surfboards, I just, the way we do it now, I think for my family and the way it operates is the best way. Because, I mean, it's still a full-time job. Yeah. You know, we still want to go surfing. You know, my wife's, a, you know, she's an amazing longboarder. She's struggling to get in the water. We have a 12-year-old who's fully sponsored now. Oh, yeah. You know, so he's... As a shortboarder or a longboarder? As a shortboarder. Yep. Uh, he's, not, he's not really longboarding that much. Yeah. but has like the opposite it. way. He's got one, but he's just like his typical kid. What's Everybody. his name? Charlie. Charlie. Shout out to Charlie. Yeah, and I think my daughter, Delilah, she'll probably end up being a longboarder. She's nine. So, uh-huh. you know, we're a surfing family and, you know, the amount of hours we put in over the last 26 years, you know, mm. it's time to also, you can't just work every single day. I mean, I'm still starting, most days I start at three thirty, four am Yep. Five to six days a week. So, you know, it's been going a long time. So it's time to put some time back in a family too. But the scale we're at now suits us the best. And financially, I think it's the best way to go. So you just found your sweet spot and stuck to it? Yeah, well, sometimes we'll push it a little bit. Yep. Um, You know, if we're looking at an export order and it might be just, say, an extra 20 boards or something like that, sure, we'll take the work. You know, we'll push a bit harder for a couple of weeks uh, and then we'll back off again. But we still try, it's funny, we still we still try and operate around surf. So if we know that, you know, we're going to get a window period of four or five good days of waves, mm. we're going to work like anything to get the work done prior to that. Okay. Uh, so we can all surf. And so the factory can surf as well too because I think if you're building surfboards and you're surfing... The love's always there. If you're just building surfboards for everyone else, and not yourself, you can kind of lose a bit of the passion. And you've got to have yeah. passion to build surfboards. Oh, uh,
0: absolutely. So if there's no
1: passion, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna last.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of guys are in love and girls. are in love with the idea of shaping and custom-made boards and things. I've just made my first board. It still has to be sanded, but uh, Lee Stephen. So shout out to Lee. He helped me shape the board. Uh, a bit of a doyen of the shaping industry from Tassie. Uh, been in Torquay fifteen years. Ag Shimoto helped me glass it. Uh, Dino, who was, used to work for Dicko, is now a ding repairer. He's going to help me sand it. So all these guys helping me out. But even with those guys helping me, it is bloody hard work. It's tough. Like I've made one board. It's taken me what <laughs> nine weeks. <laughs> I'll be making about three boards a year at this rate.
1: Look, and I mean, I think you know, there's a bit of a Cinderella story with making surfboards and. You know, when I first started, I didn't think it would be that tough. And then we get, you know, a lot of people now, they do courses and you can make a surfboard, you know, you can pay to learn how to shape it and glass it, but it's not the real thing. And at the end of the day, and I think it's great for people to actually do it for experience because they can, then they realise what actually goes into it. And we get a lot of people they will come in and they go, oh, look, I've made a board, but now I really want to, you know, really quality board. So, yeah. Um, but then some people go on and they just keep ticking away and doing what they want to do. But it, it does, you know, there's got to be a passion mm. and it's it can't just be like one minute it's on, one minute it's off. It's pretty much, it's very hard to go home at night and switch off. Yep. You know, because I go home, my wife's talking surfboards, my kids are talking surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> they're watching surf movies. Yeah. Um, You know, like anything you check on email. I mean, we try. I try not to do too much work when I get home, but if you're, there's just surfing all around yeah. kind us of the whole time. So, And there's been periods where I've kind of dropped off a little bit. I've lost a little bit of passion. I think just when the industry went through a little bit of a change and social media became really prevalent mm. and I wasn't jumping on a social media bandwagon, I just couldn't bring myself to be that self-promoting guy. Uh, I just found it really hard to do. And then I was seeing people that and really had no credibility all of a sudden becoming overnight social media surfboard shaping rock stars. Yep. Because social media can it can work really well for you. Yeah. Or it can go against you But these. A lot of guys were just suddenly popping up and never built a ball and all of a sudden they're, they're kind of famous. And I was doing my head in a little bit, but my wife saw me out pretty much with that. Yeah. She's the backbones of everything, so.
0: Yeah, well, your philosophy was head down, bum up, wasn't it? So yeah. So that it was kind of ingrained in you over 26 years.
1: And I think it was a bit like... Um, you know, you have to earn earn your right. Yeah. And these days, I think things are a little bit different. People want things, they want to earn things immediately. Uh, you know, I sort of related to something like a TV show like American Idol or Australian Idol. You know, you look at kids that become pretty much famous yeah. in 10 weeks and you look at some of the what Some of the musos have done over the last 30 40 years to get to where they've got, they've had to slave and just uh, yeah, you work and work and work for 20 years and still sometimes ever make it
0: working at the checkout at Safeway, yes. doing
1: whatever it takes type thing. Yeah, these days it's different, and but I think you've got to just now, you know, I had to learn to embrace it and work with it. And we put, you know, my wife again put a lot of effort into that and convincing me that you've just got to get yourself out there a bit more and Mm. show people what you can do instead of waiting for them to come to you. And that's a little bit the opposite. You know, we regularly do podcasts. We're regularly doing functions. We do a lot of social media, a lot of Instagram. Uh, It's kind of become the norm now. And, you know, look, sure, there's some days where I'm like, i get a bit over it, but it has to be done. Yeah. if, If you don't do it, you just will not keep up. Unfortunately, yeah. That's the way it is. I mean... I could go back 20 years ago, and when I first went to Japan, when we were exporting, there was a guy who used to distribute our boards, and he had a website in Japan, and it was selling surfboards, which I'd never seen. And he'd go around every morning and take photos of the waves and put them up, and he would get over, back then, probably 2,000 hits every morning to check the surf cams. And he was selling a thousand boards a year online twenty years ago. And I'm just like, okay. So we came back, and at this stage, this is not a word of lie. There wasn't one company in Australia that made that was in the surf industry had a website. Uh-huh. So we were the first. Really? Bef- yeah. Before Rip Curl, before Quicksilver, before anyone, we actually had a website. Yeah. It was pretty rugged. <laughs> <But, laughs>
0: Old no, HTML set up. Yeah, or? something like that. I mean,
1: and we've we've changed it that many times, but. You know, and without that, now I see guys now these days that don't have it, don't host social Mm. media, and they're wondering why they're doing one or two boards a week. Yeah. You know, you just got to keep up with the Joneses and do more. Yeah. You know, it's the amount of work that goes on. It's funny, like a lot of people say, no, where's Anne? She's never in the shop because she's doing social media. She's spending at any one time at least 40 to 50 hours a week behind the scenes building. And you mightn't see it that day but what she's got lined up next week, the mm. week after subscribers, you know, everything she's got. So this is not
0: two, three hours a week, just chipping in with a few posts. She's out at 40, 50 hours a week.
1: No, definitely. I mean, she's always, like, she just rebuilt a website. She's about to build another one for another company I have, which I don't want to talk, that's the only way to talk about it mm-hmm. um, And then, you know, she's just done a whole subscribers page. She's doing newsletters every week. The amount of social media promo stuff—it's it, never ending. Does she run an agency, or she's just, just South it? Coast, right? So if you—and she's self-taught as well. So yep. if you look at everything we do, she's done everything from start to finish with no computer experience. She just picked it up and just started. And yeah, the amount of people that hit hit us up and go, "Oh, who's your social media person? We want to hire Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
0: it's clearly working because I think I had a look last night. You got. F- Plus thirty thousand followers on Instagram, so
1: yeah, and I think they're legit. Le- look, these days, I think they're legit. I mean, there's a lot of pe- companies earlier were buying followers. You know, in the old days, you could go and follow a thousand people a day, and they'd follow you back. Yeah, and, you know, all that stuff's dissipated. Yeah, um,
0: Instagram's cracked down on that. Yeah, get yeah, penalized if you do that.
1: My personal now. ones probably got about. Five and a half thousand, so yeah, combined, which is really a worth one anyway. So combined, we've got about 40,000, which is not huge, but it's sufficient. Oh, yeah, it yeah. does the job. Um, you always want more, but you know, there's the other thing, there's a fine line of how hard you what you do with social media too. You're like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to overdo it, which sometimes it can, yeah, which is easy to do as well. So, you know, she's timing a lot of things, she's working on when to post, what time to post. You know, she might post, you know, I'll give it a lot of content but I won't see it for two weeks but then all of a sudden it might be on a board model or it might be on a launch and then next thing it just starts to run, back yeah. backing it up. So she's always got a plan in place. Yeah. And she's always looking to improve, you know. Like it's funny though too because obviously social media, you see whatever the flavour of the month is when someone's doing a reel or doing a story or whatever, if it's like a single shot um, or they might do a reel, and there's a hundred shots, one after another. Yeah. You suddenly see someone do it, then everyone will follow. Yeah. So I've always spoken to Angie about, and she agrees that let's not do. If we see something we like, let's not copy it. Yeah. Because by the you time know, you get that up, it's done. It's a fair chance it's a fad. You need to get out there and work out on get some sort of image imagery or footage and make it look fresh. Yep. And it's funny, she's been doing that lately. And some of the companies that we kind of look up to, the way they do their social media, mm. have actually started following what we've been doing. Right. So, but the, the hardest thing is to keep inventing and staying in front. You know, it's tough because a lot of it's done. Yeah, you know, there's
0: not much that hasn't been done. No,
1: so you've got to be on it all the time. Yeah. You know, so anyway, that's social media. Is If without it, we wouldn't be where we are.
0: Yeah, so that's obviously a big part of your business. Actually, that got me thinking about Need Essentials as well. I just love their content. They do that long-form articles, and then they do outstanding photography. And then on top of that, you got Tyron Martin out there surfing their boards, and uh, they're surfing in their wetsuits. And, yeah, you just get this ripping footage from New Zealand, and they kind of do that documentary format.
1: Yeah, he, they put some good stuff together. I mean, he's a great surfer. Uh, their footage is always really interesting, you know. Yeah. I think you watch a lot of Tyron Martin. You know, if you actually know his background, you know he's a hardcore, high-performance shortboard surfer, but riding mid-lengths, and he's not doing a lot on the wave that what he can do. But the way they shoot it and the way he's surfing, I think it resonates to a lot of people because it's it's done with style and it's not so far-fetched. Like, you go with someone like Gabriel Medina, who's mm. amazing, but how many people actually look at that and go, oh, I can do that? Yeah. You know, whereas you see Taron Martin just drawing lines in six-foot waves. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, I could probably do that, mm. you know, and people resonate towards that. So, and they, they're all, their footage is always good, so they're pretty smart their way, you know. I mean, someone like a Gabriel Medina might... You know, like my twelve-year-old would look up and "Go, I'm going to do that." Yeah. The, the typical thirty-five to fifty-year-old no. is not going to. They're just look back that. injury. Yeah, Yeah, they're just <laughs> going to go past that. So yeah, they're they're obviously aiming at a certain market. Yeah. You know, and they got that dialed. Yeah, right. and they, and they do a good job. You know, like you know, he's a, he's a I'd have him on my boards any day. Yeah. Way,
0: you know? Well, that's probably half the reason for their success. Like you wonder. I mean, Essentials is a great product and they're a great brand and uh, actually, that's a good segue. You know, you've got a couple of influencers, I guess you would call them, a couple of really high quality riders that ride for you. Is that a big part of your strategy? Is that deliberate? Or is this kind of built through relationships and just kind
1: of... I think when we first got involved, it was all about who rode for you. You know, so when I first started, McTavish pretty much had the top Australian riders and we, we didn't have much credibility, so it was pretty hard to get high level surfers on our boards. But eventually, I got a young kid by the name of Josh Constable. So Josh would have been nineteen, and he rode for McTavish, and he was like a junior Aussie champ, and he was he was good, you know. Like, and Josh was with us for well, at least five or six years. He ended up seven times Aussie champ, world champ. Um, but Josh had connections with us into Japan. And because of those connections, we were, purely because of Josh, we were able to do 200 extra boards a year. Now, that's worth its weight in gold. And because Josh started writing our boards, everyone else wanted to write our boards. And then, and the contest scene was pretty strong back then. So the brand got out there because of someone like that. Um, And then we were able to pick up another California team writer who is probably close to, top two longboarders in the world. So I've, I've a guy called Dane Peterson who's from Malibu. And again, the same company wanted Dane Peterson model boards. So again, we were able to put more and more boards in Japan on the back of these two guys. There's no way known we would have sold surfboards in Japan. Right. No chance whatsoever. Yeah. And from that, we became recognised in Japan and California. And then again now, because of that, I work with a guy called CJ Nelson who, if you don't know, he's realistically the best longboarder in the world. And because of CJ, you know, we've got recognition everywhere. Uh, I don't have to say much. I can just say, well, CJ rides my boards and I'll show them some footage and people want the boards. Conversation over, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, he's gone his own way a little bit. He has his own brand, CJ Nelson Designs, which I'm one of the shapers under, yep. which is a great thing. But I think having the right people on your boards at the right time is crucial in the surfboard industry. Having the wrong people on your boards can be really harmful. So we've had a few we've worked with that just didn't work. You know, but I look at someone like a Dave Rastovich, you know, whatever Dave Rastovich has written, they sell. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he, he pretty much, he if he's writing for Gary McNeil now, his boards sell. You know, like if you put Rastovich on, he was on Dick Van Stralen's, they sell. Then you look at, say, like, when Anderson started writing Hayden Shapes, mm. like, to be honest, Hayden Shapes was not really heard of. It. No. Then all of a sudden, well, you know, the hipto-crypto became huge. Oh, massive. And that's because of Anderson. Biggest
0: selling surfboard of all time, Hypto yeah. crypto I mean,
1: And look at, look at, you know, Channel Arms. They had Tom Curran. Yeah. And then they went to Kelly Slater. Now, without those two guys, they would have never been what they were. Mm-hmm. Not saying you can't. It's not just the server, but having the right guy at the right time is crucial. So, especially in the surfboard game, because it's very, it's very one, you know, it's a very individual thing, you know. And a lot of people resonate and want to be like that person. So, if you've got that person, it, it makes a big difference.
0: And just touched on Hayden Shapes there. I've just read his book, so that's fresh in my mind. And innovation and technology and everything that. Uh, it doesn't get spoken about in surfing that often because, you know, it's a kind of artisanal and it's craftsmanship and – but there is a lot of technology in surfing. So, you had the hipto-crypto, you had the thruster. Um, what else do we have? We had the shortboard revolution, I guess you'd call it, uh, between McTavish and yeah, Dick easy. Brewer. What do you, where do you see the innovation in longboards?
1: Oh, look, there's a lot. I mean – there's two sides of longboarding. You've got your traditionalists who just don't want to see any progression at all, and all they want to ride is replica, say, 1960s, basically, and look, I've got five or six models in my range, but all they are realistically are a replica. They're probably, the material's a little bit better, a little bit lighter, the construction's a bit better, and the trade the trade work on the boards is better. So, But they're realistically going to serve pretty much like boards of the 60s. You know, you're not going to get much out of them. And you see that in the way they surf, and that's cool, and that's fine. If you want to surf like that, fine. But there's more to it than that. If you want the industry to progress and people to get better and the sport to get better, then you need to progress. And you need to progress, first of all, in board design and construction. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a high-performance EPS construction, which I'm involved with Thunderbolt Technology, which is the highest construction, if people look into it, the boards are all vacuum bagged, they've all got internal stringers, all the stringers can be set, all the flex patterns can be set, they can be built to a certain weight. These boards are amazing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be to that level. So that's the other extreme. But really it's about improving, like if you want to surf in a traditional style, it's about getting a board from the 60s and improving that shape. And whether that's like... Putting more rocker in it, putting some edge in it, which goes against the grain, having boards with edge. But look what happened when they put edge in short boards. Boards start to work. Mm. You know, fin positioning, things like that, concave. So it's not just replicating boards. You can still yep. build a board that looks like a board from the '60s, but yep. totally different. But you want it to be able to surf the way you want it to surf. Yep. If you want to, if you want to pigeonhole, a pigeonhole your pigeon yourself into a, just a straight-up replica. You're pretty much going to go straight. And yeah, you'll be a great nose rider, for instance, but that's all you're going to do. So there's more to it. And in terms of,
0: you know, I hate the word inspiration, but, you know, who gets you motivated? Who gets you out of bed? Who gets you frothing for life? Is, is there anyone outside of the surf industry that you really look to? Anyone in business or...?
1: I'm, I'm never I'm never really driven much about by what other people do. Um you know, as in like, especially, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty simple, pretty easy sort of guy. I've, I've always been into sport. Um, top sports people, men or women, you know, like motivate me. Um, you know, I love a lot of boxers. For instance, I love, you know, I love Muhammad Ali. Just watching stuff like that, just the work ethic they have. You know, people with a work ethic that get up and work and get it done—that influences me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously surfers out there I really admire. So, you know, and some of the shapers, Donald Takayama was, I think, the greatest of all time. So, these, i was actually going to
0: ask that question. So, yeah,
1: Donald Takayama is my favorite all-time shaper, Wayne Dean. Um, you know, these guys aren't with us anymore. So, around the shortboard scene, I mean, all those guys are amazing surfers. You know, but sometimes it's just just getting it done for the family, you know, getting out yeah. of bed and making things work, you know, and you know, keeping the factory going, that that's enough. I don't need much more than that. No, you know, I don't need a lot to get me up and get going, you know. I just like getting stuff done. I yep. feel very if my day is not fulfilled mm. you know, I find it very hard to just sit around and do nothing. Like we'll go on a holiday after two days. And just like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> like you're bored. You? I'm like, yeah. It's just the way I am I think once you, you have a passion for building surfboards, it's in your blood, it's hard not to want to do it all the time. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And it's pretty rewarding at the end of the day when you finish them. So even if it doesn't matter how many you've done, yeah. there's still every board you want to put the same amount of work into.
0: Yeah, I must admit, there's a real sense of accomplishment, even though I had a lot of help from three very valuable assistants. But um, you're covered in dust, and you, you got the mask on, and you got the suit on, and you feel like you're a part of it for sure. And you are kind of ground zero, and you get to know the different processes, and it's it's a real art art form shaping. You're basically an artist,
1: aren't you? Yeah, so yeah you no yourself art. an artist. Oh, no, yeah. just just a tradie. You know, yeah. like that's funny because. A lot of people obviously gel and resonate to have a personal shaper, and I see that across the world. Everyone has their own shaper, whether it's me, I'm a Tabish or a local guy. They love working with their own guy, and I get, you know, and I and I love that people want to work with me all the time. But at the end of the day, you know, we're just a trade. I see it. some are better than others, mm-hmm. and I think it's like anything. But then you know, you can go to Japan, and I've been to Japan. 10 times now for business and I've been with someone like CJ Nelson who's like a rock star in Japan and it's completely different and they will literally, I'll be, me personally, be signing autographs and taking photos of people on the beach for up to an hour, which I (laughs) think is pretty humorous, you know. (laughs) But that's just where other people see where you're at. They they idolise surfboard shapers. But there's way more to it than surfboard shapers. You know, people forget, you've got to have a really good laminator. Mm-hmm. you got to have an amazing sander. You know, all the guys that work in the factory, to be honest, shaping's not the hardest bit.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of people that can shape. Well, glassing is a whole different profession in itself, isn't it?
1: You know, not 99% of the guys that shape can't but build their balls from start to finish. Yeah. You know, so they're shapers. They're not craftsmen or, you know, I look yeah. at it more like I've been lucky enough to be able to do everything from start to finish and show you guys how to do it, you know. And I see that as more rewarding and more credible than just being a surfboard shaper. Because there's not, Some guys can shape really good boards, but they can't do anything else. Yeah. So I think people forget that your board is not just the guy that shapes because there's four or five other guys out there mm. that can get it to the finished product. And without those guys, you history. So people got to realise too that it's not just the shape.
0: That's like the pencil analogy. No one can make a pencil. To make a pencil, you need wood, you need graphite, you need rubber. There's all these different elements. 100%. And everyone's an expert on each.
1: You know, I'm one of the very few guys, I think, in the country that can do everything start to finish on a daily basis. You know, I still laminate all my own boards, which is probably crazy. I do need to teach someone because it is a lot of work. And I'm working, actually, with a young kid at the moment. But you won't find it. Yeah. You know, you'll find most guys will shape their boards and they'll just hand them off to a glassy shop. Yep. and you know that that's cool if that's the way you want to do it. But I just that's not how I do it. I yep. can't bring myself. I have to be involved with every part of the process. Probably a little bit too much micromanaging. Yeah, and sometimes I probably you know that's my own worst enemy. But I just find that if it's the only way I can do it, means yeah.
0: To. You got that $2,000 price tag on a longboard, sure. You you want that control, don't you? the want 100%, everything to be at the end of the day, absolutely if
1: spec. If your name's on the board and it's going out, and I'm not 100% confident, or it won't go, it either won't go, it'll be discounted, or it'll be rebuilt. You know, like one of my big things when I'm building customs, and I see this all the time in the industry, is oh, I bought a board, but kind of the color I wasn't wanted, yep. or it kind of wasn't the shape I ordered. So if I ever get, look, and everyone has this. Mm. You know, if I've got a board coming through the factory at some stage it's not quite right, straight away I'm on the phone of the customer. And if it's a colour, I'll send them a photo and I'm like, look, this is the colour, it's a shade off, are you happy with that? And if they're not happy with it, no worries, bang, it's in the shop, we'll yep. sell it, we'll just make a new one. Right. No questions asked.
0: So you're really upfront and transparent.
1: Straight straight away, you have to Not that.
0: trying to just ship it off and no. th- just hope no. they don't notice. Just, well, why would you for one Yeah, moment? Because at the end of the you day... Play honesty. Time,
1: That one board, if you're passing to a customer and they're not 100% happy, they can tell their friends Yeah, and they're never going to come. And they tell 10 other people. But if you're up front with them and just say, look, this colour just hasn't come out the way I expected or the shape's not exactly the same, but I'm happy just to build you another one, But you might have to wait a couple of weeks they are going to be stoked. Yeah. But they'll give you even more love. They'll be like, yeah, but he actually remade the board and didn't question it. It comes back to that
0: integrity thing that you spoke about earlier.
1: Yeah, integrity is the key. You know, like I've always stood on integrity uh, and sometimes it's, it's bitten me in the bum a little bit because I've said no to boards that I don't believe in. Yeah. You know, there's people who have asked me to do stuff or, you know, they might want some glasswork or some colour work, which I just find it just doesn't go with the brand or they might want me to go and, you know, Paint the Australian flag on their surfboard or something. You know, <laughs> it's, there's nothing wrong with the Australian flag, but I'm not going to put it no on my surfboards. Yeah. So, and I've said no to that, you know, and they're not, you know, people, they're not happy with that, but it's just like, I can't bring myself to do it. It's all about the brand. And if yeah. it's not going to suit the brand and the image mm. and what we're working on, I can't detract from what we're doing. Just for the sake of one board and making a few hundred bucks, no chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, you touched on family there as well. So I love that, you know, you look up to a few boxes and things and high-profile athletes and people that are, that are good at what they do. Uh, but you mentioned family and just getting it done for family. So myself and Jess were on the early stages of creating our family. I've got a, a young 14-month-old and I had to babysit him this morning and I was watching a few YouTube videos of South Coast Surfboards of Ben Considine and um, there was a the video that of the slot machine came on the pink board mm-hmm. uh, and Owen was transfixed so I think we might have to put a slot machine on <laughs> Owen's Christmas list but speaking of family like changing nappies you've kind of been through all that how did you go uh, son and daughter back in the day how did you get the job back, job done back then how did you share the load oh, it was a kind of
1: amazing wife yeah you know like the amount of time and effort she puts into the kids everyone says this about their wives, mm-hmm. but it's second to none. Like yeah. she just holds the family together. She's the glue. I mean I'm I get so fixated in some I'm unfortunately a very addictive personality. I mean I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, you know, I don't do drugs or anything like that. It's just not me. But when I get fixated on something, it's all or nothing. Yep. Yeah. So when I'm building boards, it's all or nothing. And she knows that. And she obviously understands that. And she's very much like that too. So she sacrificed a lot. You know, You know, she when I first met her, she was the McTavish girl. Okay, so she was a team rider for McTavish oh, right. and for Rip Curl. Yeah. So she was the first professional sponsored longboarder by Rip Curl. So she kind of threw all that away. She gave all that away to, you know, build a family with us. I mean, she mm-hmm. first started riding for me, but she could have always pursued that and kept contest surfing and everything, but she didn't, you know. And sometimes, you know, like I think it's not fair on her yep. and we're trying to get her back involved with contest surfing again, but she just, she does everything, you know. Like, sure, I, there's days where I've got to help out. We um, As a team, we work really, really well. Yeah. But when it has to get done, she knows I've got to get it done. But most of the time, I will try and get it. Being a guy coming from the fruit game, early mornings is nothing yeah. So I'm used to getting up at, early. you know, my original job was getting up at one o'clock in the morning. So if I get up at three thirty-four, it's a sleep. sleep. In. <laughs> it's a sleep. In. And my sleep patterns have never changed. So it, people right. are going, "Well, oh, how do you do it every day?" Well, I'm just kind of used to. It. Yeah. And I get so much more done early in the morning. But you know, it is tough when kids come along. Things change dramatically. You know, be, you're very. Most people are, you know, self-centered. They worry about themselves or yeah. their partner. And then next week you've got one or two two kids who can't do anything without you yeah so you put all this time and effort into them and, you, and it's drawing you away from you know one of your passions which is making surfboards so you know like so we just got it done because she just puts the work in yeah you know? so all those people out there have got all those customers and everything like that, that keep thanking me you want to thank her because yeah you know, she's allowed me to get it all done yeah well, that's probably the
0: reason you're able to do this podcast this morning because Angie's probably doing social media and marketing. And- well, she's at home
1: at the moment and she's got to go back to Byron tomorrow. And yep. the kids are with us, so they've got time off school, but they're just at home. Yeah, and she's handling everything. Yeah, you know, so
0: I can vouch for that. Like Jess does an amazing job with Stonker day to day. Like just insane the amount of work that she does. She does all the books, the financials, the social media. I chip in with social media, but she does most of it. You know, campaigns, promos, like, it's never-ending, yeah, I you say.
1: I just build boards. You know, I mean, sure, I do some social media, but it's got to the stage, too, where she just basically says, this is what we're doing. Yeah, no worries. we we'll just get it done. Like, at first, obviously, you know, there's a bit of an ego, a bit of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm the boss, so I'll, I'll do it my way. Well, it, it didn't really work that well, you know. Yeah. And ever since, it's funny, ever since Ange... Really got involved because at one prior to kids, she was working at Quicksilver. She was managing Roxy and the main store, and they wanted her on as an area manager. But just she decided we decided to have kids instead. And then when she really got involved with South Coast, at that stage we weren't going that well. You know, we're probably doing six a week. Six a week. I was working by myself, and I was kind of a bit jaded with the industry. You know, like because that's when social media first started yeah. coming on, and like we weren't getting the recognition, but. But it was because of her, you know, she really turned around, basically sat me on my ass and said, hey, get your shit together. Let people know what you can do. Yep. Start putting your product back out there. Get involved with CJ Nelson. Get him on board and, you know, I'll do the rest. And everything changed. It was her idea to put a coffee shop in. She set the coffee shop up. She set the retail up. Everything you see, we do front of house. It's all her, right? Everything you do, you see online, it's all her. So people don't see that, you know. Often people go, oh, "What does Ange do?" <laughs> well, what doesn't she do? Yeah. Except for make the surfboards, and if you really want to know, for a year there, she worked with me. She can sand, she can. Finish oh, really? Chest, she can pull the coat, <laughs> she can finish coat, she can. I actually need a hand
0: sanding my board, so she can clean up pre <laughs> shapes. Pretty end. much do
1: everything the boys do in the factory. Yeah. To to a level of that. Wow. So. You know, she's pretty handy.
0: Yeah, so basically... We didn't work so well together
1: when, <laughs> when it came to day-to-day in the factory. There's one area where she knew she, she couldn't <laughs> tell me what to do, so...
0: And the rest just steer clear. Yeah, so... I've noticed that at Stonka, there's a bit of... We get a bit tense at times, myself and Jess, like, with some of the questions, and I'm like, is that not self-evident to you? Like, I get a bit grumpy, so... <laughs> but uh, I think we're working it out as we go. And, yeah, it's definitely having your own space, kind of yeah. your shaping boards at the factory, at the shop, and Angie's at home doing digital Amazing. media, marketing. Yeah, look, I mean, she'll workspace. come
1: in today too because to, of, of Friday. She's got to go obviously come in and her thing will be she, she's going to check the shop, make sure it's promo clean, everything's ticketed, blah, 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 blah. You know, she'll do all that. There's times when she comes in and when she's back full-time from Byron, she'll be in a lot more. Um but she And she doesn't really get involved now with the boards. She'll come out and she'll take photos and all that type of stuff, but she knows that that's my area, but she's everything else, you know. Yeah. maybe You know, like I still do a bit of book work and pay some bills and I'm in contact with suppliers, but just that day-to-day stuff. But all the behind-the-scenes stuff that no one sees, it's happening. Why we're, we're going so well is because it's happening behind the scenes.
0: Yep. And that's 100% you guys. There's no other business partners. No. Never
1: has been. Self-funded. Yep. Oh, yeah, no mortgage. Yep. Uh, we don't have an overdraft. Uh, we run the business on...
0: Positive cash flow. Yeah.
1: So we've, I've always been a big believer on, you know, when a bill comes in, you pay it. Yep. It doesn't matter what the bill is. it's a $15,000 blank bill, you pay it. So I've never... Again, I find if in business, if you can pay everything as you go, mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day what's yours you never stressed about, you know, paying debt. You're never accumulating too much debt. And what I've seen in the surf industry is a lot of people will let things go. The next thing they're 90 days in debt with mm. a blank supplier. Then they're trying to shift to another blank supplier. All of a sudden they can't get materials. Their business mm. is done. They're taking out huge mortgages, huge overdrafts, everything like this, and they wonder why they're not surviving. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'd rather have everything paid, not as much money in my pocket, but when the money comes in a nice mind. And it's probably a little bit harder. I've been lucky. You know, when I came from the fruit game, I was, I was reasonably cashed up. Mm. But, you know, we, we're pretty smart with what we do. We're, we're not tight, but we, we control where we spend our money. Yep. When and when we don't buy materials, how much we buy, etc., etc. et cetera. When we, you know, there's times when we really load up. Yeah. Um, and, think, you know, you just, it's like any small business. you just got to be on top of it and smart. And Absolutely. You've got to project what's coming. Know who's going to be paying you down the track, what you're selling, uh, and just just don't overcommit too much, you know. Because at the end of the day, you overcommit too much. Next thing, what, once the banks are involved, yeah. And look, this is probably easy for me to say, and I know a lot of businesses need overdraft. But if you can keep a business without an overdraft yeah. and don't have a bank involved in anything you do, it's pretty easy. To it's it. so much
0: more robust, aren't you? Yeah, anti fragile. Um,
1: it's the same even, and we're not all the same. We've been lucky enough, you know, at home. We don't have a bank involved with what we do. We're lucky enough to have no mortgage. It makes a massive difference. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can sleep at night. You can focus on what you want to do. And if you do want to have that holiday or if you do want this or that... You can do it. You can do it. And it doesn't mean you just need to go and blow everything... And everyone will be like, oh, yeah, but we can't get there. Well, everyone can get there. If I can get there, I'm no special. I'm no different to anyone else. Yeah. You know, you just got to set a plan and stick to it and just work.
0: And your customers, they pay deposits up front or boards up front as well?
1: Always. Any board that's built as a custom.
0: Cash up front.
1: Minimum 50% up front. Yep. No matter who it is.
0: That makes a huge difference.
1: Well, that's not for cash flow so much. That's more for. Commitment. Security yeah. commitment, and the reason being is ninety nine percent of my customers are amazing. Yep. Yeah. and they are, and I, I thank them all because they're all fantastic, and they yeah. all come back.
0: One percent pull out.
1: Yeah, and that's not the fact for the money. It's just the time and effort. If you go to yeah. build something, and someone pulls out on you, yeah, it's just leaves a you know, sour taste in your mouth. So you got
0: to put it on the rack. Yeah, it's you a different can do different design, that. different shape. And yeah, and
1: it's like. It's like why commit in the first place if you're not going to buy? It? Yeah. So it's the same even when we when we wholesale, which we don't do much of. There's reasons for that. Anyone who takes boards as wholesale, nothing leaves my factory unless it's paid in full. Mm-hmm. Nothing, never. That's always been your philosophy. Always. Yeah. And that came from the fruit game. Supply and demand. Pay for cap. everything you buy. You pay for straight away.
0: Do you ever ever get any pushback? H choose... is.
1: They know. Yeah. Well, it's like... If they you, know you like
0: boxing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it's just like... I mean, there's been times over the years too where we've had... You know, look, you want to make everyone happy, but you can't. And there's some... You've had... There's times where I've had certain customers which they've done the rounds on every factory in the industry, and you know who they are. And when you don't give them... The, it gets to the stage where you just can't give them the time of the day because at the end of the day, they're costing you time and money. So you don't see them. You know, and we we had to weed a few out at the start. Sure, you might have lost some sales back then, short term, but at the end of the day, long term, it's better. So you've just got to be, you just got to stick to your, your guns and your rules and you can't, you look at my customers know. You know, the, yeah. I've got guys that have been buying boards off me for 15 years. Yeah. I still pay two grand for a board, but they know that they're going to, as soon as they order a board, they're going to give me a deposit. And that shows me that they really want it and I'm going to put everything into that board
0: you find it's a bit of an 80-20, like 80% of your 20% of your customers, you know, generate 80% of your, your revenue over time? you reckon that would be the case? Like guys that have put through 20 through 30 grand sales? Well, that
1: would be um, exceptional. We've got a lot of returns, but then we get a lot of new customers all the time. And I think the way we, the thing, what we did notice over the first four or five years, we sold a lot of surplus. But then we weren't getting the resale. And it came down to two things. You become a bit of a fad in the industry. And at one stage, we were really up there. You know, McTavish was leading everything, and then all of a sudden, South Coast started coming along. Mm-hmm. And this is before the Thomas and the Coots, and all these brands. So you're really you're generating sales. And then all of a sudden, someone else comes along, and you're not the flavor of the month, okay, for mm-hmm. no real reason, just new, new brands come along. And you Mm -hmm. don't keep up with them. And then things start to drop off. But they also drop off for a reason too, that if you're making really high-end premium quality boards, they're not falling apart. No. So it it took me a while to realise that, okay, well, the boards are not falling apart is one of the reasons. And we weren't seeing trades. We weren't seeing second-hand boards on the market. People were keeping them. Yep. But in the long run, it's a good thing because those people eventually do come back 10 years down the track. Yeah. And then the word gets around that, you know, like your board's quality. So, sure, you mightn't get someone buying a shortboard off you every six months. Yeah. But that gets, that wears thin too. Guys, yeah. after time, are going, you know what? I've bought five shortboards in the last two years that have all fallen apart. Mm. They start to move away.
0: You've got three of a particular brand out the back there that have. Found so,
1: we just found that if people come back, they'll come back because they believe in what you do. They just won't come back as quick as what you want. But that's fine. You just, you know, you, all you got to do is work on new, building a new clientele base all the time. Mm-hmm. And we're getting more and more, and especially the women, the amount of women we get coming in down buying boards, it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I go down to Possos, and the amount of ladies on South Coast longboards, like, just nuts.
1: And they're all really good riders, too. Well, it's funny, when Ange first, I met Ange 17 years ago, she was really the only, there was two longboarders, her and another girl in, t- in town, nobody yeah like no one riding longboards and I'd now, say it's the predominant board now and now to see you know when she it was the same when she grew up in Byron she was obviously from Byron there weren't there weren't many girls riding longboards in Byron she was really she was the longboard girl yeah now you go to Byron there's you can see up to 50 to 60 girls that yeah. pass on longboard anywhere on this coast 40% of surfers I would say now in the water are females
0: yeah so I'd agree with that it's a huge market yeah you know. especially spots like Possos and, yeah. and the thing about the longboard, you know, there's less aggression. It's more about style and, you know, cruising and, you know, the love of the ocean and the water versus, you know, Winky, which can get pretty hectic on a, on a big day. So, yeah, you do see a lot of girls out at spots like Possos and 13th. And And I think
1: what it does too is it actually, you know, it really hit about five years ago and there was a lot of, you know, prehistoric guys would be like, uh, bloody women, you know, <laughs> be carrying on and be like... But in the end, what it's done is actually it's got rid of those dickheads out of the water. Yeah. And it's actually brought a more chill vibe and it's more, you know, it is more relaxing. When there's more girls in the water, the, the testosterone level comes down. Yeah. And I think it's good. And, you know, male or female, it doesn't matter what, male or female, whatever you are, as long as you're having fun and enjoying surfing. That's yeah. what it's about. It's not... You know, you don't need 50 waves. No. You know, as long as you get out and get a few good ones, it doesn't matter what level of surfing you're at. Like, these, yeah. I've been surfing a long time. I, I don't need 20 waves. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get them. But, you know, I mean, sometimes if I get half a dozen good ones, I'm done. Yeah. You know. And the girl, the girl thing in the water it just it's way more enjoyable because it just brings everyone back a little yeah. bit. There's more... You know, socializing the girls. They
0: chat a lot more too. They chat a lot more. Guys yeah. don't even look at each other. I know. The girls say, like, hey, how's it going? I was like, well, "Yeah." oh, and, you talking to me. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's great. You know, I think
1: it's good. And like, there's nothing wrong with someone paddling out saying hi to you. Yeah. They smile. You know, then otherwise having some guy next to you grunting. Yeah. You know, like, it's kind of, those days are done. You know, we're past
0: it. Yeah, I paddled out to Bell's one day and I said hello to a bloke and old bloke, old salty dog. And the guy hates me to this day. Like, <laughs> I didn't say hello. Like, well, That's the that no problem. I, I see him around and talk. Eh? So, well, we'll see so later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was the issue. I think the issue is him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just us. I, I, I still see that guy around and I just think, <laughs> wow, what have we come to? But, um, cheers. We've ticked over an hour and I know you're a really busy man. So, I could talk all day about surfing and shaping and all the rest and longboarding. We haven't even really talked about the nuances of longboarding and the rest. We talked about the boards and stuff, but we might have to do a follow-up chat sure. in a couple of months. but um, so a lot of our listeners, you know they may have full-time jobs, they may be thinking about pursuing something that they're passionate about and getting away from the workaday life. What would be your advice to those people? Guys and
1: girls? Yeah, first of all, do your research you know. Realise that if, you, if you're you going to do it for financial reasons, make sure that you can make money out of it, you know, because at the end of the day, if you've got a passion and you can't make money, you don't want that to be a full-time passion. I mean, if it becomes a hobby, that's fine. But the other thing is if you are interested in doing something and getting away from your day-to-day thing and you're really interested in a hobby or a passion like making surfboards, don't hold back. Once you take it on, all or nothing. You know, you've got to put everything in it. You've got to be consistent. And, you know, they say a five-year plan, Mm -hmm. it's going to be like a 20-year plan. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. going to do something, you're going to, like, I'm 57. This is, I'm going to do this till I can't do it. Yep. So you've just got to work, put in the hours, and don't expect any, it's not going to be easy. You know, you've got to work, and it's nothing to work 60 or 70 hours a week at the start. So just be prepared, accept it, and and grind away and it'll come Mm -hmm. you know and get really what if you you want to be good at something make sure you get good at it don't cut corners and accept the fact that you're going to make a lot of mistakes
0: yeah I love that advice so big long term vision not this five year plan well I always
1: say a five year plan if you're not making money after five years it's not going to happen time to get out I don't know about that Yeah. yeah you're probably still making money you can make money but it's like you gotta have like you want to enjoy what you're doing too, because there's no point taking something on and not enjoying
0: it. Yeah, you know. So we enjoy, we love what we do. Yeah, I can see that. I see you're out there every morning. I see the van in the car park, and I think Chiz has been at it for since three am. <laughs> I'm rocking up at ten am, and uh, <laughs> uh, usually looking after Owen in the mornings and up at six am. So, but yeah, I can definitely see that. And yes, yeah, I think that's rife in the tech world and the startup world. You know, businesses are built to be sold. Whereas this is totally different.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, we're not. I've had people look at trying to buy the business. And again, that's really hard. You know, could I do it? I I think everything is for sale. You know, I'm not stupid. Well, some people don't. (laughs) But like, it comes to the stage where I would be really disappointed if I sold it and everything we put into it fell apart. So. Be very, very careful. I did go to sell it. It, it You know, it's, it, nothing's off the table, but it'd have to be financially really viable. Yeah, and I'd have to see that the future of the business would be successful. I mm-hmm. couldn't just sell it for money and watch it just fall apart. Yeah, unless someone, unless one with someone was, someone who was just going to, you know, pay me endless money. But that's that's not going to happen. So yeah, you know, I, I don't build things to sell them long term like that. That's not yeah. how I operate you know i just don't see the point in that because you've got to spend the time and effort to get it to get it to where it is now you can't do that overnight
0: no and when just one final question when do you think you kind of felt like you you made it within the surf industry and in Torquay?
1: or do you still feel like an outsider oh no definitely not i mean i'd say just over time you know, when we were up in 22 Baines Crescent, I think we moved down here about 15 years ago in one seat. So I think after a few years, you know, once, once we started seeing all the shortboard crew, like Rip Curl crew, Quicksilver crew coming in, buying coffees, things like that, coming in and enjoying the space, you know, and it's not just what they think, mm. but it was just like things started just to break down. And I think just being in a town long enough, having kids makes a big difference. You start to... Once you start having kids and you're seeing parents, kids the same age who are been in the town longer, and the kids start to gel, then it's kind of like they yeah. don't have much choice. Yeah. You know? So They realise that you're human. You put yeah, up the same struggles. We put Charlie in talkie board riders when he was eight. That broke down a lot of barriers. Yeah. You know? Um, and Yeah, just the kids. The kids do it more than you expect. Yeah, right. So they're kind of, yeah, you know, pseudo- Relationship managers, the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, there's still some people. Like, it's a funny, You know the town. I mean, there's some people that just still won't sail lady. Like yeah, I've seen them. You know, I see them in the water. I've seen them for 25 years. Yeah, and you get nothing. Yep. but whatever.
0: Yeah, well, you've you've made your mark. That is for sure. So, congratulations on all your success to date with South Coast Surfboards. Yourself and Angie as well. Shout out to Angie. So. Uh, yeah, we might have to do a follow-up chat because sure. I've still got a million other questions. But um, I know you've got to get on with your day and I've got to get my car to the mechanic, actually. No. <laughs> so uh, awesome to chat, Chiz. Uh, yeah, so all about long-term vision, integrity. Any parting words?
1: No, not really. Just, uh, you know, all I've just got to say again is if you want to get into something, just do your research. And then if you once you make that decision, don't look back. Yep. Put, like, just put everything on the line. You know, if you half-ass anything, you're going to get a half-ass return. Mm-hmm. So it's all and nothing.
0: And it's not a, uh, you know, a sporadic sort of spur-of-the-moment decision. It's do your research first. 100%. Yeah. We, it took us two
1: to three years before I really made the call to move to talk to
0: Oh, wow. That long. So a lot of analysis, not yeah. of this. It was a big move. Yeah.
1: Uh, where can we go to keep following your story? So, Well, I mean, our website is www.southcoastsurfboards.com. We're on our Instagram page, South Coast Surfboards. My personal Instagram is shaper.dn.chism. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, if you su- subscribe to our website, there's always newsletters every week. We're yep. putting stuff out. Those, if they're around town, come out, hang out Friday night, 5, 5 p.m. Yeah. 18. Come and check out what we do. Should be really good, Mike.
0: Myself and Jess will be there. That's for sure. So.
1: Yeah. There's also we just did another podcast, which is probably I don't know I should promote it. No, absolutely. We just did one through Oz Longboarding, which is on Facebook. That yep. talks more about actual board design. And yep. working a lot with CJ Nelson, so that's that got a good response. Um, yeah. So that's where you can find us. And I'm always on our email. Or if you want to hit me up for boards, just hit me up direct on uh, Instagram or through the website.
0: Yeah, I'd probably apologise to some listeners who probably were looking for more chat about board design, but I think that'll have to be in our follow-up chat. Sure. We did touch on to it briefly, but um, yeah, I guess tune into Oz Longboarding for that chat. Yeah, if
1: you ever want to do another one, do some city stuff,
0: just on design. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, is there a name for the
1: the, the new model? The new model on Friday. Model, the new model on Friday is the Nova Pro. Nova Pro. There which you go. Is based off our, old, our Nova, model Stella. Model, the Nova Stella. Nova Stella.
0: There you go. So the Nova Pro, get along, see it. I think uh, free food and
1: drinks? Uh, drinks at bar prices? Drinks at bar prices to Bells Beach Brewery and we'll have food on as well and music
0: as well. Food from Koo Cafe. So jump in and see South Coast Surfboards Chisar. Uh, get yourself a longboard for Christmas. Um, hopefully some good surf coming. Uh, otherwise, cheers. Just thank you so much for your time this morning cold morning in torquay yet another cold frosty morning so <laughs> actually we don't get that much frost but really appreciate your time we'll let you get back to your day and yeah thanks for being so open and transparent about your story thanks uh-huh. thanks cheers